Welcome to episode number 33 of Nurses Living the Good Life. My name is Ann Conkley. I'm a certified nurse midwife and a certified life and business coach, and I'm so glad that you're here. So over here, I have to admit, this is the first time I have recorded a podcast in almost three weeks. So it has been a, an eventful three weeks after having some dental surgery and a bone graft, and it's been interesting. I've been reminded of what it feels like to be a patient, and let me tell you, that shit's for the birds, okay? I mean, I know, I know, like, we got to be patient sometimes, and I'm a terrible patient in general, and um, I just really dislike being in that position, and, you know, it's probably because I'm a little bit controlling, <laughs> as you can imagine, and I know I'm in good company here with people uh, who are listening, because you too may have some moments where you go into, you know, a situation, and, and you have trouble with how it's run or you're like, man, they could do this better. Or why isn't it just streamlined? Or why do I have to wait so long? And, um, so I get it, you know, I, I've been there and, uh, and as always happens with these kinds of moments in time and in life, I'm reminded of all of the good work that people do in order to create services like, you know, dental offices that support, you know, these kind of procedures and, and I have a new uh, appreciation for, um, you know, just what it means to be in our field and to not only be a patient, but to take care of people. I mean, it's a, it's a great way to remind yourself of what we do is to go and be a patient and to open yourself up to the uncertainty of the whole thing. Uh, always a, a very humbling experience, as you can imagine. So, um, so, but I'm back and uh, still some numbness in my mouth and still a little bit of swelling and but overall doing very well and had a pretty uneventful, a very uncomfortable, but mostly uneventful uh, healing uh, journey, which is great. So um, so and we'll see what happens with this uh, thyroid gland and we'll kind of see where we go from here with it. You know, I'm, I'm open to the possibility that it could be a great move in terms of supporting uh, a healthier body, which is good. So, so I wanted to talk a little bit today about this article that I saw that came up in Medscape, and I thought it was interesting, and I, and I thought worth sharing because, you know, I I know here in Cleveland, Ohio, where I'm located, and if you know Cleveland, you know that we are a medical town. We have uh, three large healthcare systems within Cleveland, and of note, I'm just going to throw a plug in there with some of the worst infant mortality rates, uh, which is deplorable that we could have both extremes, some of the most world-class care and some of the worst infant mortality rates in particular for black infants. And, um, and I just want to make mention of that so that we don't lose sight of, uh, you know, of that as, as uh, part of our work, right? Um, always contributing to systems that per- perform well, right, that help uh, you know, create good impact in the world and, uh, and also really do good work in the world, right? But, you know, one of the things we've seen in Cleveland is a consolidation of many of the old private practices that existed in, in this city, in addition to all the old hospitals. And for those of you who are, uh, you know, familiar with Cleveland, you'll know that just like you probably in your own city have seen some of the older hospitals, older groups, uh, succumb to some of the larger organizations and to be bought up or acquired and to become, you know, essentially a portion of a new entity, a larger entity or a corporation. And Cleveland's really no different. We have uh, seen many private practice physicians and providers in general, NPs, 
really uh, exit private practice and go into the uh, setting of being in a, a medical institution. And in 2018, it was the first time from a national perspective, if we look at national data, 2018 was the first year that we started to see that more physicians were employed by, this is again physician data, but more physicians in particular were employed by healthcare systems rather than in private practice. And I have to admit, I think that over the next few years, we're going to see that challenge. And I think that we're going to see it, it, the pendulum swing back the other way. And generally speaking, I mean, you guys know that I'm an advocate for, for, for private practice, right? Because for us, as, for a lot of us as working women and working moms in particular, working caregivers uh, who caregive in a multitude of uh, scenarios, whether it's in a paid format or an unpaid format, um, we need freedom and flexibility in order to do, you know, meet the needs of our families. And we also need the opportunity to build success in our careers, to build financial stability for ourselves, to eventually, you know, develop financial wealth for ourselves, to create generational wealth and to pass that on to our children. I mean, those are the things I think about, right? And as you know, one of the ways that I advocate for all of us to do that is entrepreneurship and the idea of creating something that, you know, is, is sometimes really not possible to get in a traditional healthcare model. I mean, if you've seen my webinar on the five vital steps to opening a wellness practice, you know, you know, at the base of that, we talk quite a bit about how healthcare right now is a hot mess and, uh, and we don't have the, again, freedom and flexibility to really create a system that works for us, right, and works for our patients and uh, overall creates the impact uh, that we desire to see created in the world. So Medscape came out with this article, and I thought it was interesting. I'm just going to point out, you know, first and foremost, they interview seven um, uh, <laughs> physicians, and one out of seven is identified as a woman. And so I just want to note that this is a male perspective. I don't know the uh, the race, uh, you know, behind all of these people, I didn't go and look them up and try to figure it out. But I, I have to think that, right, this is a, a kind of a, this article has a male dominated perspective. And so I want you to just, I want us to notice that and not to be dismayed by it, not to be thrown off by it. Uh, and, and not to think that we as women healthcare providers are not represented because we are and we're out there and it doesn't take much to look around the city and find whether it's women physicians or women advanced practice nurses who are creating their own practices and doing it their way right so just remember medscape has taken a sample it's a biased sample let's be fucking honest you know i mean let's call it what it is and um and let's look at what they say and then let's also kind of talk through you know, some of the things that are of value in here, uh, even if the perspective is, is quite biased. But so I want to just make notice that um, title of the, this article is Why Practi Private Practice Will Always Survive. And I think it's interesting because there are a couple of um, reasons that they, uh, that Medscape cites in here that, uh, you know, they uh, say are contributing to, um, you know, why people are considering private practices. And again, this is targeted at uh, interviewing physicians and mostly male physicians. But, but there are some themes that uh, align with what we talk about, which is, well, you know, uh, in general, more freedom, right? And more opportunity to do it the way that you want to do it. Coming out of a system that maybe gives you 15 minutes or 10 minutes to see patients and, you know, figuring out that you can't do the work that you, in the way that you want to do it in that sort of a uh, environment. And not only can you, is it hard to do it in 10 minutes or 15 minutes, 
But in addition, you know, you're not in a place of power to be able to control whether or not there's a change, right, of, of taking a 10-minute visit and changing it to 20 or 20 minutes into a 45-minute visit, right? You don't have the luxury very often if we're not in those decision-making spaces or positions of power in order to exert that level of control, uh, right? And and we know with private practice, right, it's not a problem. If I, if I start to notice that I'm going over consistently, I either have two options. I can either get better at managing my time on my calls with patients, or I can extend the visit and say, you know what, we're going to go from a 45 minute to a 60 minute visit. And this is what we're going to do in my practice because I'm the fucking boss and I'm going to decide what kind of practice I want to run, right? Do you see the freedom there? Can you hear it in my voice? I know you can. And I know you've thought about this. I know you've thought like, man, if I could call the shots, this shit would look a lot different. And I agree with you. And the reason that your intuition is is piping up and it's like, gosh, you know, there's a better way. It's because there is. And you know that there really is a better way in order and, you know, that we can do this. Um, one of the other uh, points in this article that we see is that, um, you know, when you begin to create a private practice, you know, a lot of us start to think, I got to take out a loan. I got to go and, you know, find a lender or some sort of a funder who can support you know, whether it's 30 grand or 50 grand or 100 grand down in order to, you know, create a brick and mortar for myself or to hire some initial staff or to invest in some of the technology that's going to support me creating the practice. And it's just not true. Um, you know, one of the strategies that I tend to teach is starting off with a very intentional and, um, sustainable approach. And that involves building a business slowly. And as we go, you know, a lot of us aren't in a position to be able to just quit, you know, hundred percent and to rely on, uh, the, uh, uh, untested, uh, right. Private practice in order to make sure that it covers the basics of, you know, our mortgages and our, uh, you know, the monthly, uh, fees that we have. Right. And so, and I imagine that you're like me, you don't want to end up homeless on the street. And I know, right, sometimes our brains would offer that and from a place of fear can sometimes guide our, the decisions we make. And we also have to realize there is some uncertainty and there is some risk that does come with starting up a business, right? And we know as entrepreneurs that when we take, when we become entrepreneurs, there, in, there is inherently a level of risk taking that is necessitated with entrepreneurship, right? Because there's just, we don't have the luxury of a nine to five, right? Supporting uh, all of those uh, decision and the certainty. But I also just going to throw in here, what's also really interesting is that we don't really have a lot of certainty on the nine to five. I just want to throw that out there. I mean, there's really no reason that your boss can't come along tomorrow and be like, hey, so sorry, we cut your position. I mean, I, and I want you to just remember that. So the brain likes to find certainty and it likes to, you know, go into easy decision mode where it's not having to make active decisions and likes to go into automation so it's not stressed out. And that's normal. But just remember when your brain is like, man, this is going to be hard, uh, you know, and there's a lot of risk here and there's no risk with having a nine to five job. Well, it's not quite true. There's some risk to having a nine to five job and your boss could come along tomorrow and be like, sorry, you know, you're out. And with a nine, with a nine, so there is some with a nine to five. And we know that that's probably there to a greater degree exists, um, you know, more risk with starting a business and really doing something, especially that's untested in a business that you've never done before. So we, as a result of that, then can say, well, how do we then create businesses that really support growth and from a controlled uh, standpoint? Well, the easiest way to do that is to start it off as, you know, start focusing on a practice that you can grow alongside of what you do currently. 
And for some of you, that means making sure that you understand your non-competes and the details of your contract so that you know what you're up against and whether or not you can go and start a practice and whether or not it's a conflict of interest with your current employer. Um, but for the most part, it is, um, you know, it's, there's an opportunity there for you to say, okay, well, I don't have to do this with 150 grand in my pocket. Like what if, right? Like we talk about this in my, the five vital steps webinar, which is that there is an easy way to start a business and it's called, okay, I, um, have a service. I make an offer to someone. They ask how they can pay me for it. I send them a link to PayPal or Venmo. Uh, I get on one of these free EMRs like Charm or Cario or any of the ones that have, you know, like the first few patients are free. I find a place to document it. I send them a um, uh, an email, right, and ask them to sign a consent form and, um, you know, have them uh, either, you know, uh, send it back to me in a HIPAA compliant way. I use Doximity, which is a free app to provide my telehealth and it's HIPAA, uh, HIPAA insured, right? And I, um, you know, what else do I need? I, if I need a collaborator in my state, I have a collaborator. And if I don't, I don't. And really, that's all we need in order to get going. And that's not a lot. Now, people say, but no, 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 I got to be an LLC or an S, you know, S uh, Corp, or I got to be a sole proprietor. Well, you know, yes and no. I mean, we can start businesses without having all the, all of that in place. And now look, I'm not in any way advocating that we do not do our fair share to pay taxes and to, you know, uh, meet the, the laws and regulations that are set up by the government for when we become business owners. I'm in full support and compliance with that. And I also just want to remind you, I don't always need every single detail to be in place in order to get started, right? I can do it from a place of, I don't need 150 grand in order to invest in a brick and mortar. I can start off on telehealth. And frankly, if I use Doximity, I find one of these free EMRs and I send them a Venmo link, I'm good, right? I mean, can you imagine? Like, those are probably the three main components that you need. Maybe we would also need Calendly, or um, which is a free scheduling tool, or Acuity, which I don't know if they have a free option. They probably do for first two weeks, but I could use that to hook it into my calendar so that I could send the patient a um, you know, Zoom link and a uh, invitation for their calendar so that we, you know, have the appointment set, right? But I mean, we can get started on private practice without having to invest, you know, big bucks to do it. And so I just want you to keep that in the back of your mind because that's, if it's available for others, it's available for us too. And very often it's a great way to get into business, right? Just to start small and build those steps and really focus on getting that first patient through the door. Um, one of the um, uh, parts of the article mentioned that if you go into private practice, you don't have to face moral distress or moral injury. And interestingly, if you've seen my talk on burnout, which I give all over the country, and uh, we talk a lot about, about moral injury, moral distress, and then burnout, and, and, and the difference in terms of what um, contributes to moral injury and moral distress. And moral injury, you know, burnout we see from the chronic, continued, um, uh, interpersonal stressors, right, that occur, right? That's where we see burnout, where the, the engine burns because there's literally no oil around it. It just literally starts to burn. Um, 
And so burnout is one thing to, to see. And we usually see burnout manifest in, you know, eye twitches and very often in that, um, you know, that attitude of like, God, why do I, you know, oh, if that patient calls one more time, oh, I'm going to lose it. Or if it is, you know, the, um, the I don't even care anymore attitude, or if it's Sunday scaries creeping up, like we can see that those are, you know, a result, tend to be a result of experiencing burnout. Moral injury is a little bit different though. With moral injury, we see that when when employees are asked to do things that go against their set of values, then there's an opportunity for moral injury or more moral distress to occur. So we most commonly saw this, or when they have to make life-threatening or life-changing decisions for people, right? And the um, the the kind of perceived um, risk is really high, right? So if I have to be the one to decide who gets a vent and who doesn't, or if I have to be the one who has to work alongside the person who doesn't get vaccinated alongside me, I may have some feelings about that, right? And that's really where moral distress and moral injury come out. And so it's important to know both. But what's so beautiful about entrepreneurship is I don't have to be subject to moral dis- distress. Why? Because I, I make the shots. Like I call the shots, I make the decisions. And I don't, if I make an intentional decisions and I make, I grow in my business in a very intentional way, I know why I do things and I know why I don't do things, then it comes very unlikely that I will experience a level of moral distress. Um, and we know that burnout, moral injury, and moral distress really lead to a culture of disengagement and a culture of people who exit. And so, right, if we get into creating kind of our own scenarios and creating the environment and it feels good to us and we, we realize that we operate in alignment with our core values, what's important to us, and we do it in a way that, that serves us, uh, the risk for moral distress is, you know, almost uh, null and void. One of the um, other things that is so interesting is that um, the Medscape article talks about is, uh, um, you know, being having the best of both worlds, right? Like if you are um, in a practice, you know, you could um, create a business where you, you know, do a cash pay model and you can you know, be a sole practitioner, you can set your costs, you can set your time, you can know the ins and outs of, you know, the, the profits and loss of your business and really create something that allows you and affords you control, right? In a way that some of us who, right, started this conversation out by saying I'm a little bit controlling, right? I like to make sure that I have the opportunity to, you know, control the decisions that we make in my business. I like to be able to make quick changes. I don't like waiting for somebody to come back to me and tell me yes or no, or to feed me some bullshit. Well, we'll get to it in six months and then we never get to it. Right. I'm tired of that. So, right. If sometimes with private practice, we can say, well, actually, actually I can have the best of both worlds. You know, I can be a private practice. I can start off in a cash pay model. Then what if I'm the, the private practice that begins to grow and that begins to bring more people in? And what if, you know, by bringing that in, we develop into a patient medical home? And what if I, or we, you know, go and, uh, you know, I create a private practice network, right? Um, I have a, one client in particular who's done this and have seen some uh, emerging entrepreneurs in the Cleveland space who are creating networks, right? Networks for physicians, Um and also in the in Ohio, um, where they will say to you, okay, 
we will provide you with the backbone of the business, you know, the marketing tools and realizing that you want to come into private practice and you want the freedom and flexibility. Maybe you don't want to be the business owner, run that business end of it. You don't want to figure out the marketing and Facebook ads. And so they will say, we have an opportunity where if you come in, we will set you up with marketing. We will set you up with your Facebook ads. We will help you generate the traffic in order to support, you know, you creating a volume of patients and, you know, really creating the private practice, right? A full uh, panel. And then they'll say, well, okay. And for that service, right? Because you're like, wait, what's the catch? There's one right? They're not doing it for free. They say, well, we'll take 10 to 15% or maybe 25% of the revenue that you generate from, you know, your patients. And so I have some people who love that method and they say, gosh, that makes it so much easier for me. I don't have to do the ins and outs of business. And so, you know, if I go and have somebody who runs that end of it and then, you know, I still make a, a premium, right? I don't make probably the amount I might make if I were running it all on my own, I'm certainly not getting pigeonholed like I would if I were in a traditional healthcare practice where I have literally no control over how it goes. Some people really like that middle ground. And so, but you could have the best of both worlds, right? With an, with entrepreneurship, you get to choose what works best for you, what works best for you based on how much risk you like, how much control you desire, um, and how much impact you want to create in the world. Are you looking to open up a, hang up your shingle and be a one person, you know, one stop shopping place? Or are you like, no, I got big plans. I'm opening up, I'm starting with telehealth. I'm then going to build out into a brick and mortar. I'm going to have a brick and mortar that not only houses, you know, multiple disciplines of people that support, you know, women's health or primary health or whatever it is. And then in addition, we're going to run courses. I'm going to have uh, a line of supplements. I may invest in having a line of foods. I may invest in, uh, right, like, right, like building an empire, right, which is amazing, by the way. Both are amazing. And you get to choose, well, what would the best of worlds look like for me? And I think that's something to really consider. Um we also know too that the reality is that you know you could be someone who said, in fact, I'm going into private practice because I really like the idea of uh, you know being nimble and of um, you know when I want to do something new in my practice, I go out there and do it, and I have that level of control, um, and you know I get to make the changes. And if I determine that I want to start a course or I want to build. Of course, or I want to have a session for all of the patients of the practice, and I want to host a guest speaker to come in. If I decide on a Tuesday I want to do that, I could set it up for next Monday. I don't have to wait for anybody to say yes to it. I don't have to wait for legal and compliance to you know, give me the green light and the go-ahead. No, I just go out and do it. And um, right, I think the, the benefit of that is that, you know, again, you get to have that level of control. Um, and you get to create, you know, exactly what you find to be one of the, you know, the, the solution that really supports, um, you know, the creation of, of that, you know, the practice you want to create. Um, you know, some of you, I think too, are, are, you know, you like me and you're in good company if this is you, you know, you want to be in charge, right? You want to be the one to, you know, your shots, you get to call it, you get to, you know, take on that extra layer of risk and it's not a problem for you. And then at the same time, you get the payoff at the end when it works out. And I think it's an important thing to know about yourself. How much control do I desire? Um, you know, how much do I 
like how much do I want to be in the role of chief decision-making officer, right? Which is essentially what a CEO is, right? Like, do I want to be that person? And some of us don't, and that's okay. We're not here to judge it. Nothing's gone wrong here. We're just here to say, well, if you want to be the person who's making the decisions and you can't, then you're going to have a hard time if, you know, you keep getting a no from all the higher ups. Uh, and, um, and then I think one of the other, um, you know, things to realize that, you know, whether, right, we can look at control and say, well, that's important. And we can look at, you know, um, you know, income earning potential and say that's important too. And I think, um, what it always boils down to for me, for me at the end is, you know, what's your version of living the good life? right? Because this, this work isn't for everybody, private practice or creating businesses or digital marketing or, you know, um, being in the driver's seat. It's not for everybody. And again, that's all right. We're not here to judge it. Uh, if you are willing, though, to ask yourself, but what do I want and what do I need? And what works for me best? Not what, what, what's best for everybody else, but what works for me? And what helps me create my version of the good life? What does that look like? Is this a good life, you know, me being able to get the kids to soccer? Is this a good life that I take a three-day weekend? I only work four days in my practice. Is it that I only work three days in my practice and then I have a four-day weekend every weekend? And it's possible with private practice in a way that's not possible for many of you with uh, clinical practice. And now, it was, and some of you may say, but it is possible if I want to switch down to, you know, uh, from five days a week to four days a week, they would let me do that. And certainly they'd let you do that, but most of them won't pay you the same amount, right? With a private practice, I can say, oh, you know what? I'm currently at four days a week of seeing patients and or clients, and I'm going to shift to three days a week of seeing patients and clients. And you know what I have the freedom and luxury to do as a uh, business owner is to say our rates are going up. Right. And we are right. And, and look, is there a stepwise approach to doing that and to figuring out when do I raise my rates and when do I, well, yeah, absolutely. And that's part of what I teach and whether it's, you know, the mastermind or nurses living the good life. But what's most important, I think for you to know is, well, what really is my version of the good life? Like, what does it look like? What does it feel like? Where are we going? Where are we traveling? Who's with me? Who's not with me? (laughs) You know, who is, um, who's around and who's not around? And, and then to say, can I use private practice as a way to create that? And I think for us as advanced practice nurses, I think the sky's the limit. I think there's so much opportunity when you get clear on what you want and then you use private practice as a way to build it for yourself, right? Like I want you to get out of the habit of thinking about working in this job or this field as, you know, like an end to the means. What I, would, what I would encourage you to do is to say, well, what really is the end game for me? Is it, you know, twice weekly, twice yearly trips to the beach? Is it the beach condo? Is it, you know, Turks and Caicos four times a year? Is it international travel with my family? Is it taking my um, beloved, my partner on a, you know, once a year February trip to someplace warm where the two of us can get cozy and reconnect and have, you know, a couple of days just ourselves? Like, what does your version of the good life look like? And then what we do is we say, yeah, all right, let's take private practice and let's fucking build it. Let's make it happen. And I know some of you will be like, but how, how, how are we going to do it? How? All my strategic thinkers, God, I love you guys. And I would say to you, look, 
no right way, no wrong way. But here's what I'm going to tell you. If you keep thinking about how it's going to happen rather than start doing, you will never see that your private practice starts. <laughs> you won't get closer to your dreams by thinking about it. You will get closer to your dreams and creating that version of the good life by doing, right? Right? By getting there, by taking messy action, by not knowing what you're doing and just being like, I'm just going to try something. Let me just see if this works. Let me see if this works. All right, maybe I'm going to learn something here. Let me try this, right? Knowing full well that we just keep swapping out. Well, this didn't work. What worked? What didn't? What am I going to do differently next time? We just keep swapping that out. But we're not in it to create private practice so much. We're in it, in my opinion, and I think a lot of the people that come to me and like to be around me in my space, they would agree with this, that we're here to do two things. We're here to do good work in the world, and we're here to do well for ourselves, and ain't nobody going to stop me from doing either, right? Right? No. So we create our version of the good life. And then we say, all right, how can I use private practice as a way to create that and to build that? And I think, right, there are a lot of reasons where, that we can use to justify it. And I listed some of them today. And we can look at, you know, maybe stats and data numbers on number of people in private practice and whether or not they're growing or whatever. I, I think we are, healthcare is ripe for disruption at this point. I think that we are going to see a switch back into private practice model because I think that the more convoluted insurance, you know, becomes in credentialing and the more that we start to see, you know, Medicaid rates uh, decrease and the more that that stress is there, the more that, that we will start to get very uh, creative about how we provide solutions to people. And I think we're just on the brink of it. And private practice is a phenomenal way to go about doing that. So so that's what I got for you for today, okay? So remember, um, private practice will always be there. And your job is to say, what kind of person am I? What level of control do I desire? What level of risk am I willing to take on? What's important to me? <clears throat> What's my version of the good life? What does that look like? What does it feel like? How much money do I make? And then we start to say, all right, what skills do I have? What can I repackage and repurpose? Am I going into, you know, can I create a, a private practice that's based on, you know, healthcare or medical care? Um, is there something different that I want to do? Are there courses that I want to do? Right? But, but know that private practice is an option for you. And even the, those of you who are like, but I'm not in full practice authority state, doesn't matter. But you're like, but I'm, I'm a nurse and I can't be a business owner in my state because some bullshit old rules about um, you know, who can own a private practice. I know it's all right. There are ways to get around that. Why? How do I know that? Because when push to shove, when push comes to shove, we are very, very, uh, uh, creative at solving problems. All it takes is watching one nurse try to fix a Foley bag, uh, so that it drains properly. So he sure they doesn't need to go in the room every 15 minutes. Right. Or watching the nurse in L&D who says, I'm going to trace this baby and I'm going to use like a million washcloths in order to tilt it just right. Like we are, ingenuity is at its peak, I think, with us. So there's no reason if we can do it for our patients, there's no reason we can't do it for ourselves. And we do. We do it every day. And we can do it for ourselves in, in the form of business. So... So consider private practice. And when you're ready and you're like, you know, I think that's what I want. Come on over for nurses to nurses living the good life. I mean, this is a program that's set up for you. If you are a nurse entrepreneur, there's no better place to be, honestly, in my opinion, um, where we have a mix of you know mindset work to help you stay out of drama, stay out of 
you know, uh, in inferiority and, and insecurity and, and to maintain yourself in confidence and calm, uh, to, you know, embrace a, uh, a mindset that, um, that goes for failure. Right. And that, you know, uh, helps you stay accountable to yourself and, and ultimately to reach your goals. But it's the best of that along with, you know, my approach, which is also to do some consulting work and make sure that, you know, everything that I've learned over the course of building a business online over the past three years, everything that I know about business building, which we can apply to the brick and mortar setting, we can apply in the telehealth setting, um, you know, that I can take all of that and help you so that, you know, you're not, <laughs> you're not struggling over there on your own because there's no reason for you to struggle. There's no reason uh, so, so if that's of interest to you, come on over and, uh, uh, set up either some time to talk with me or go check it out on the website, www.anconkleycnm.com. Uh, check us out and, uh, remember private practice will always survive, right? It will always be there as an option. Your job is to say, what do I want to do? Where do I want to be? What do I want at the end? And what's my version of the good life? And then to see if private practice allows you an opportunity to create that for yourselves. So. All right. Good to talk to you guys. See you next week. Take care.